And then came this great statement of one being with the Father. Now, in the bulletin, I've drawn an arrow, and I have put in a box. Now, the Nicene Creed was written in Greek, and they used the Greek word homoousius. Homo meaning the same. Ousius is the word for substance or essence or being. And it was the declaring statement that the nature of the Lord Jesus was in every way equal with the Father, and that he possesses co-equality, co-eternity, and that he himself is the creator. Notice that in the next line. Through him all things were made. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. We're on the air again to bring you the gospel of the Lord Jesus today. And I trust that there'll be a blessing in store for your own heart and your own soul as we bring to you the message of God's Word once again. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, we're going to be airing our messages on the cults, exposing the Mormons, the JWs, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Baha'i, Sikhism, uh, Roman Catholicism and uh, Christian science is another. And uh, through this month, we'll be getting right into uh, the errors of the cults and how they are attacking the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most foundational things to true doctrine is the Nicene Creed, the Trinity, the belief that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons co-equal in their essential nature, in their attributes, and in their power and glory. And this has been an historic position right from really the Old Testament into the days of our Lord Jesus, the apostles, and in the early church. Now, in the days of the Nicene Creed, the battle was on to defend and to define the nature of the three persons within the Godhead. And uh, today we're going to be continuing this, and again tomorrow. So I trust that you'll stay tuned with us as we look into the whole issue of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Nicene Creed. Now, I'm holding in my hand a little booklet called World Religions Made Easy, and it's an easy-to-understand pocket reference guide, 64 pages so it is of real substance, and it will outline the errors of a good many religions, and it will get you focused. Now, these are available $5 in the mail from here on Let the Bible Speak, and you can order through our website or by giving us a call, and I'll give you all the information uh, toward the end of the program. So stay tuned with us today as we continue in uh, our message. We we begin with beneath the cross of Jesus. And of course, if Jesus is not God, what value is his cross? What value is his blood? And so this is indeed a battle for the gospel. Stay tuned with us as through our program today, we let the Bible speak on the Trinity and the Nicene Creed. 
Well, this man Eusebius the historian, he was very pro-Constantine. And there's a lot of things that he wrote about Constantine that you can take with a pinch of salt because he really favored him and glossed over a lot of his faults. But Constantine did preside over the Council of Nicaea. And they began discussing various matters of business like baptism, what standards you have for catechumens. And they also dealt with another thorny issue, and that is people who were lapsed Christians, who during the era of persecution had denounced Christianity and in some way or other paid worship to the emperor. And then when the persecution was over, they wanted back into the church again. And this became a very difficult task. What to do with those whose faith for a time had lapsed? And then they came to the issue of Arianism. Now, there were only a few of the 318 who held Arian views that were in that council. However, these few were so convinced of their doctrine that they thought that it would only take a preliminary presentation, they would win the day, they would have the support of all the council, and they would end in triumph. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Arius himself, who was the main propagator of this doctrine, he had been deposed by Alexander of Alexandria. He could not attend. And so his assistant, a man called Eusebius of Nicomedia, a different Eusebius from the historian we talked of, and he was the main representative or speaker at this council. When he began to speak, and when they began to grasp the doctrines or the views of Christ that he was propounding, there was absolute anger in the council. His script was snatched and torn and stomped under feet. And there was no possibility that these false doctrines of Arianism were going to be promoted, received, or compromised with in any way in that council. Now, in the final rejection of Arianism, the Nicene Creed was drafted, and it was to put an end to the controversy. Now, the nature of a creed is to state in very clear terms what you believe and what you don't believe. And if you read the Nicene Creed very, very carefully, you will find that those views of Arianism were totally absolutely rejected. If you look at the section, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, this is in the back of your bulletin, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. And so that swept away this false doctrine of Arius, that there was a time when the Lord Jesus began to exist in God's order of creation. And then came this great statement of one being with the Father. Now, in the bulletin, I've drawn an arrow, and I have put in a box now, the Nicene Creed was written in Greek, 
And they used the Greek word homoousius. Homo meaning the same. Ousius is the word for substance or essence or being. And it was the declaring statement that the nature of the Lord Jesus was in every way equal with the Father, and that he possesses co-equality, co-eternity, and that he himself is the creator. Notice that in the next line. Through him all things were made. And so you can see that this Nicene Creed swept away these views and doctrines of Arianism. Now, for good measure, the Emperor Constantine, he added a paragraph that's not in the normal used version. Uh, it was more a political statement. And I want to read to you what he added to the creed at the end. But those who say there was when he was not, remember that little slogan of the protesters for Arius? There was a time when he was not. And that before being begotten he was not, or that he came from that which is not, or that the Son of God is of a different substance or essence, or that he is created or mutable, these, the Catholic slash universal church, anathematizes. And when you were anathematized by Constantine, you were banished from all position, all opportunities to teach, and many had to flee their places of dwelling. Now, this creed was signed by all the attendees, for by a few Arians, at the Council of Nicaea. It became the document that would seal and approve the doctrines of the Trinity. And many hoped, and they were firmly convinced, that this would put to rest the whole controversy and that it would never raise its ugly head again. Well, that certainly wasn't true. Within a few short years, this man Eusebius of Caesarea, this sly fox politician historian, he actually was related to Constantine. His home was in the same area where Constantine summered, and he got around him. And he convinced the emperor Constantine that he had made a mistake in banning the Arians. And before long, the ban was lifted. The Arians were allowed back. And of course, they came back with their spurious doctrines. And like weeds, they began to grow and grow. And so this controversy raged from generation to generation, right through much of the uh, history of the church. There arose after Alexander a man called Athanasius, a very famous bishop, uh, orthodox, Bible believer. He was Egyptian. He was very short. He was called the Black Dwarf. But everybody feared him. They feared his logic. They feared his tenacity. They feared his commitment. And he was a man of the people who befriended the desert Christians in North Africa and swayed great support 
and his whole life was given to the defense of the Orthodox position of the Trinitarian Creed and the Nicene Creed. And of course, he made very good use of this term that was used, homo usius. And it was a Greek term that declared the Godhood of Christ, possessing the same essential deity without taking away from the three persons co-equal in the Trinity. Now, as I said, Athanasius became the man who really contended for the faith against the Arians. I want you to listen to just a little excerpt of one of his speeches against these doctrines. Athanasius spoke as follows, that the Son is not only like to the Father, but that as his image, he is the same as the Father, that he is of the Father, and that he resembleth, and that the resemblance of the Son to the Father and his immutability are different from ours. For in us they are something acquired and arise from our fulfilling the divine commands. Moreover, they wish to indicate that by this, that his generation is different from that of human nature, that the Son is not only like to the Father, but inseparable from the substance of the Father, that he and the Father are one and the same as the Son himself said. The Logos is always in the Father, and the Father always in the Logos, as the Son and its splendor are inseparable. That gives you an idea of the theology of these men. Now, I know it's hard to follow a statement like that in reading. I couldn't do it. I had to read that over a few times to, to really grasp what he's getting. But I want you to sense the depth of theology. We think of men back in the 300s as men, well, they were just sort of finding their feet. They were paddling the waters to, to find where they were going. These men knew their doctrine, and they defined the shades of difference that meant orthodoxy versus heresy. And Athanasius in particular was a giant as a theologian, as a contender, as a church leader at that time. And he over and over and over contended for the Nicene Creed. And he is one of many who introduced it into churches that it would be used in regular church services. Now you can understand that this was done because many of the people were illiterate. Not all could read. And so the common people who came for public worship, they would recite the Nicene Creed. They would recite it over and memorize it, get it into their minds, and it would become not just to the theologians and the learned of the day, but to the people a tool to defend against Arianism, the denial of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to this day, the Nicene Creed is still a tool for us. We can still use it as a way of defining and defending the nature of our Lord Jesus. Now, in the bulletin at the end of the back page, you'll notice I put in the, the, the wording of section 2 in chapter 8, and you'll notice that the same truths, not the exact wording, but the same truths 
of the Nicene Creed are in our Westminster Confession of Faith. It reads this, The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father. Now, I'll not go further. I think that says it all. Now, you just imagine a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon coming to your door, and you quote such words. You can stand your ground. And when they come with all their nonsense, ah, but Jesus said, and one of their excuses is, Jesus said, well, uh, no man that knoweth the hour of his coming, not even the Son. And they will say, well, therefore Jesus is not God because he doesn't know as much as the Father. And they come with these trite arguments that are those obscure things in the Bible. And they pass over the clear things that are in the Bible. These are tools to help us in our defense of the faith. Now, this battle against Arianism has continued right on down through the centuries. In my home country, in Ireland, in the 1800s, there was a rise of Arian doctrine, Unitarianism, this denial of the Godhood of Jesus Christ. God raised up a man called Henry Cook. His statue stands in the center of Belfast to this day, and his statue is known as the Black Man. And he is depicted there with a black cloak. Uh, I don't think he's riding a horse, but he's, he's there on a, on a very large display in the center of the city square. And he made his ministry to oppose Aryan doctrine. And in the 1830s and 1840s, there was a particular doctor who went around the country propounding Unitarianism, Arianism, denying the full deity of Christ. Here's what Henry Cook did. Every town and city where this man set up to hold his meetings, he held another meeting. And he invited people to come and hear the doctrine of the Trinity. He challenged this man to a debate in the city of Belfast. It attracted thousands. And when Dr. Cook was finished, he was a theologian and an orator. The people were so impressed with his message that they took off their shoes because their hands were getting sore clapping. Such was the impression. And let me tell you one of the strong arguments that Dr. Henry Cook used. He used the Greek word homoousios, the same word that was right in the Nicene Creed and contended by Athanasius. And Dr. Henry Cook won the day. And the Presbyterian Church in Ireland outlawed Arianism. That was in the 1840s. And you may know that in 1859, God sent revival, and the Presbyterian Church in Ireland was the uh, vehicle of revival in not only the north of Ireland, but many parts of the country. Many were converted, but this heresy had to be rooted out. And that's why it is so important that we contend for the true deity of Jesus Christ, because we could never get on our knees and pray for revival if we were Arians. We could never get on our knees and pray that God would convert men and women in our city around us, because we would be inviting them to embrace heresy. 
And so we need, by God's grace, to purify the church. Sadly today, many churches are not interested in doctrine, and thereby the door is open to heresies and cults. And we must all the more arm ourselves in this doctrine of the Trinity and the Godhead and the Godhood of Christ. listening to Let the Bible Speak, and our theme these weeks are the cults versus Christ. The need in the midst of religious confusion is to turn to the Bible doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is the great gospel doctrine. Martin Luther is credited with the statement that the standing or falling doctrine of the Christian church is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. This has been a litmus test ever since for the church which claims to present the gospel. Any church which would seek to smother over, to any degree, the truth of justification by faith alone, with its institutional rites, ceremonies, or clerical prowess, cannot be considered to be the true church of Jesus Christ on earth. The gospel message is that sin brings guilt to the sinner's soul. Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross to pay for our guilt. His death and his righteousness transferred to man's account is the only grounds of hope 
a sinner may have for eternal life. The gospel message is that Christ offered a one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice as payment for sin. To take away from that is not the gospel, and to add to that is also not the gospel. Justification is an act of God's free grace, and man cannot offer any payment to God because he is bankrupt. He is no currency to pay the debt of his own sin. All his sins are pure guilt, and all his best efforts are yet rags of self-righteousness. The sinner's only hope is the payment of God's Son at Calvary. By trusting in that offering for sin, which God accepted as full payment, we are justified freely from all things. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In our examination of the cults, we must keep this doctrine in mind. Many have turned away from the biblical and Protestant view of salvation by faith alone in the single payment of Christ for sin. Many want to make salvation a process which over time makes men right with God. To such, sin is a mere moral lapse, and the term guilt is not understood. Therefore, the offense of sin to the justice of God is not understood. It has been pointed out by historians and theologians that in any revival of the church there has been a rediscovery and a new emphasis on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. May the Lord lead us all back to the central doctrine of the gospel and bring us back to the way of peace with God through faith alone in the death and righteousness of his Son. The Shorter Catechism tells us that justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. The proof text for that is Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can send for our free booklet, World Religions Made Easy, a ready reference guide with 64 pages to guide you through the maze of various religions. And it has a special 15-page pull-out section on Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. You can look for this on our website at cloverdealfpc.ca, and we'll gladly send you this 64-page booklet in the mail for just $5. So be in touch with us here. You can call us, write us, phone us, email us, or go through our website, cloverdealfpc.ca. The number is... You can reach me personally at 604-897-2040. I will take great delight in hearing from you, taking your call, opening the Bible, and praying with you. Thank you for joining in. Thank you for joining with us here on the program today. Stay tuned with us. May the Lord bless you richly. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.lt.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music